Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. Entrepreneurs are needed more now than ever for their ideas and innovations and to promote jobs and growth. We count on them to find solutions to our pressing challenges. Young entrepreneurs will have an important role. We are delighted to have launched the new OECD EU Missing Entrepreneurs 2023 report about policies for inclusive entrepreneurship and self-employment. It arrives at a time of pressing global challenges, including slow productivity growth, climate change, demographic change, and the digital transition. One of the important messages from the report is that young entrepreneurs have high hopes, but they face a high range of barriers to success. To discuss this today, it's a real pleasure to have the opportunity to talk with Anita Thiessen, the CEO of Youth Business International. Hello, Anita. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, David. It's lovely to be here. Great. So, Anita, let's jump right in. The new OECD EU Missing Entrepreneurs Report paints a picture of youth entrepreneurship across OECD countries and EU member states. One thing that jumps out is that young people seem to be very interested in entrepreneurship. A new survey in the EU shows that about 4 in 10 young people would rather be self-employed than working as an employee. Why are young people so interested in entrepreneurship? Is this something new or has it always been the case? Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. Um, and I think there is something something new about it and also something, you know, kind of constant about it. And there's there might be three things that I would, would pull out. I mean, the first one is obviously that global youth unemployment or underemployment has been very, very high for quite some time, but more so because of COVID, which, you know, across a number of areas really hit children and young people quite hard. So I think there's still, uh, you know, the tail of that COVID effect, which of course plays out differently in different parts of the world, but COVID is certainly one of the, the areas. But I think also for different uh, groups of young people, so say for women, for people with disabilities, you know, refugees or migrants, um, other ethnic minority groups, people who might find it difficult to get into traditional employment or have other responsibilities that they need to balance, entrepreneurship can seem to be a good opportunity for them to make some money, you know, to build something where they're finding the doors are closed in terms of, of normal employment. Um, and then I think the third is, is a bit more of a zeitgeist thing. Um, which is it does give young people the opportunity, you know, to to create something that is theirs. And, you know, we'll talk more about the importance of kind of social impact, environmental impact and so forth. But, you know, it gives them a chance to kind of put their mark on something. Um, and, you know, and again, with the rise of social media, online shopping, influences and so forth, you know, you can set up a business as a, as a side hustle and that's becoming, you know, increasingly common and, you know, can be an entry level way into, into entrepreneurship or indeed can be quite an earner in and of itself. So the latter is obviously something which is, you know, only enabled by technology, whereas kind of persistently high unemployment, you know, has probably been around for, for a while. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you mentioned both um, push and pull type of factors if you use that type of model. So let's dig a little bit deeper into that. Um, in the survey that I noted just a minute ago, uh, some of the other questions asked about, you know, the motivations behind young people wanting to start businesses. And a very high share of the people responding indicated that they wanted to pursue their passions and their interests. 
but we also saw almost a sense of pride in that people wanted to create their own job. A few wanted to you know, generate wealth and become wealthy, um, but we also saw that about one in seven were interested in having a social or environmental impact. Um, does this line up with what you're seeing across uh, YBI and the organizations that you work with? Um, what are young people aiming to achieve with their businesses? Yeah, and kind of building on what I said, you know, in my last answer is I think we are seeing um, both, you know, kind of personal passion and kind of wider, wider world impact, you know, being bigger driving factors. So if you, if you look at, say, the creative industries and a lot of it enabled by technology, there are a lot of people out there who, um, you know, are making things or selling them and finding wider markets. And obviously there's been traditional and artisanal crafts for, you know, many, many years, but there's a boom in it now and people being able to, to make and sell things in a way that maybe they haven't been, been able to before. Um, so that's kind of personal passion. But in terms of kind of what I want to do with my life, what impact do I want to make on the world? Again, we see that coming out. And very interestingly, um, you know, when like people like you and I talk, David, we might talk about, you know, social entrepreneurship or climate impact solutions and all of that. And very often the young entrepreneurs starting off in this space don't even recognize themselves in that language. They just know that, you know, I want to fix a problem in the health system or the education system, or, you know, I want to do something which is about preserving water or dealing with ocean plastic, whatever the problem might be. So they know the difference they're trying to make. They don't necessarily put a label on themselves uh, but they they absolutely do want to to make that difference and, and we did a just a one country survey um a year ago in the uk and we were really comparing under 35 business owners with over 35 so we we're actually looking at business owners not just people who might aspire to run businesses and really um there was a stark difference so the the younger group were like twice as likely to say their business's primary aim was you know, to solve a social or environmental problem, you know, to choose suppliers who do good in society, you know, wanting to promote inclusivity and, and diversity in their in their business. Um, but all of that having been said, you know, businesses still need to make money. You know, you still need to be able to pay your suppliers, to pay your employees and so forth. So I think there is an overriding shift in, in either personal um, expression or how people want to make an impact on the climate, but there's still businesses and there are still people running service businesses and, you know, and so forth that, 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 that pay the bills and so forth. So it's not kind of all in one direction, but there is a real, a real trend in, in that direction. I really like the point you made about labels. And that's something that I've really been interested in discussing with different people. I mean, in my role, we get to meet people all over the world. And it's quite interesting to see the language that is used around uh, business creation, startups, entrepreneurship, because the word entrepreneur and the concept of entrepreneurship is not easily described in all languages. I think it's Polish, for example, where it's not really a word for entrepreneur. And the closest that they have is sort of um, capitalist, which is quite a heavy word with certain connotations. And so it's a bit of a difficult discussion in some countries. Um, you know, what am I doing? Am I an entrepreneur? Am I an artist? Am I whatever? It's, um, it's not always easy to have a discussion around these topics. Um, but one point that I wanted to pick up was, um, you know, we've seen that there are a lot of people interested in it. They've identified um, different approaches around their own career pathway or making a broader difference in society. Um, but if we look at the data that we have around business creation, you see a huge gap between that ambition and then 
sort of the action of creating a business. Is it back to the question of labels and what we're calling it, or are there other factors that explain this gulf? Yeah, I mean, probably, you know, and I know you're, I think you're referring to data about 18 to 30 year olds. So I think there's maybe just a general comment, which is, you know, when you're, when you're young in life, you know, you may have many aspirations. Um, you know, you may be doing uh, tertiary education, you know, you may not, and, and, you know, and so forth. So I think it takes a while for young people to know where they're going to land, which is, which is just a general comment. Um, and as a mother of two young people, I know this um, in, in, in real time. Um, and also in those early days, I think it's quite easy for people to maybe dabble in a side hustle, you know, get a job, not like the job, sort of a business. So I think there's a certain, you know, kind of just just finding your feet, knowing what you want to do with yourself. And, and probably if they're really going to set up a business, it might be, say, from your mid-20s, you know, onwards. You've got a little bit more life experience under your belt. But that's not true of everybody. You know, there are people who start businesses much younger. But, but once they get to the stage where they actually want to give it a go, where they know this is absolutely what they want to do, um, you know, there are challenges. And a lot of those have to do with simply being young and not yet having a lot of, you know, assets in the widest sense of the word, you know, to bring to your enterprise in a way when you're 35, 45, you know, you would have um and you know a lot of those start with lack you know um lack of access to financial support tailored inclusive support you know networks and i can unpack those um a bit more um i think there's, but, but there's overridingly two things that will always come out of our conversation throughout our network is the two things that really hold young entrepreneurs back one is that they absolutely have to have an entrepreneurial mindset that going on programs and throwing money at people and so forth is not going to make a difference if they don't have that, you know, kind of the grit, the resilience, the innovation, you know, the kind of the get up and go that 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 really pushes an entrepreneur forward. And it's fine for people not to have that, but that's what you need if you're really going to, you know, propel a business forward. And then it is access to capital. Um, so to get money without the mindset isn't going to help. And to have a great idea and constantly be blocked, you know, when you're looking for finance. You know, that's not going to get you anywhere. And I think um, particularly for the underserved entrepreneurs that we work with in our network, you know, once you've exhausted friends and family, you know, probably the first amount of money you're looking for is maybe 10, 20,000, you know, US dollars. It's not a big amount of money, but it's very, very difficult to get that in from a commercial bank. You know, it's it's not enough for impact investors or VCs and so forth. So there's a, there's a gap. And I think that gap tends to be filled by grant funding. You know, that's when they start entering various prize competitions to get that. Um, and we've actually been working with some of our members to look at different models that might help the entrepreneurs build up a kind of a financial track record so that they're more credible, you know, when they go to, to financial institutions. So that kind of money and mindset are really important. Um, but then it's also, um, you know, if, they, if they're not getting tailored and inclusive support and, you know, and David, you and I will talk, you know, a lot about what, what works or what doesn't work in terms of entrepreneurship programming. You know, we, we certainly believe, and I think the evidence is there, that it's got to be, you know, holistic. It's got to, you know, address business skills, personal skills, you know, those connections to the enabling environment and be over a period of time, you know, what we would call accompaniment. Um, and, and definitely one size doesn't fit all that, you know, you need different support if you've just got an idea, if you've just started, if you're ready to grow, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and, and, and also the other thing we've been working a lot with our network on is, is around inclusivity. And sometimes it's little things like making sure you're offering childcare alongside a female entrepreneurship program it makes a huge difference in terms of, of take up 
or you know um for a lot of the the refugee migrant um entrepreneurship programs it's you know just incredibly important to have somebody who's leading that program who is at a minimum speaks the language of the people that that you're supporting ideally has some sort of cultural resonance so can can be that kind of cultural interpreter between business regulations here and business regulations there so it's not always rocket science but making sure that um that programs are holistic that they're tailored for the people that they they want to support um, and then the final lack, and this really is down to youth, is the lack of networks. Um, you know, if you're 25 years old and you're starting a business, you know, you just don't have all the connections that, you know, you might build up over time. And that's where we see really, um, our, you know, our members, the entrepreneurship support organizations, and really importantly, experienced mentors can really help because if they get your idea, if they really know how to support, they can say, well, what about this association? What about this business? I can introduce you to so-and-so. So, you know, you know, in other language, it's like paying it forward on the part of those people, but it's, it's, you know, money and mindset, all that kind of tailored and inclusive support, and then people who get your business and help make those connections, which, which get you on the ladder, really. Yeah, I really like the way you laid that out. I mean, it's about ideas and mindsets and then being able to access the resources to put those into action. And then, of course, the third ingredient would be your networks, which is, um, you know, one way to address any shortcomings that you have in your own um, resources. You know, you can use other people to access things that you don't have. So that's really nice and clear. And, you know, we know in our work that governments have been working in these different areas, trying to offer support to young entrepreneurs. Uh, we discuss a lot of these different approaches in the new missing entrepreneurs reports and you know the evaluation shows that these can work they can make a difference um, we do see a lot of successes i think that um, one of the key messages coming out is that offering a little bit of financial support is a critical element of providing support to young people uh, you've noted that yourself just a few minutes ago um, so if you look at support packages uh, that offer support, they seem to have a greater impact on in terms of helping someone create a business that is able to sustain itself or uh, move into employment. Because we know entrepreneurship is not suitable for everybody. Not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur and not everybody will succeed. So when we're looking at these policies, we also consider the broader labor market outcomes, not just business creation, because of course, what we're trying to do is create opportunities for people to contribute, uh, whether that's as an entrepreneur or an employee, you know, it's going to be different for everybody. So finance is a critical element. And then another important point, uh, when looking across all of the different types of intervention, you know, if the government's objective is to support business creation, motivation is one of the biggest keys to success. And I think that harks back to what you were talking about earlier in our discussion. So governments should, if they're trying to support business creation, probably provide the most intensive support to those who are the most motivated. Uh, because if you don't have the motivation, you're probably not going to succeed in creating a business. Now, that's not to say that all support should be targeted on motivated people. There's, of course, benefits to offering broad support to everybody, trying to increase awareness, change attitudes. But really, if you're trying to create businesses, probably you want to offer the most intensive support to those with the highest motivations. 
Yeah, no, so, so that's interesting. That's a good jumping off point. Um, I mean, we, I've, I've already talked a fair amount about you know money and access to finance, so I won't labor the point, but maybe just to pick up on, on what you said. And it and again, it's something that it's come up in various discussions and, and then also that report we did um, last year, the UK focused one, is this financial support, which is, you know, support to somebody to start a business, which can be, you know, startup loans or that kind of thing. But the other um, thing is, um, I don't know if social protection is quite the, the the right language, but, you know, some form of you know, the equivalent of unemployment assistance for a period of time, let's call it a year, which is, I think, what used to be done in, in the, the UK through like an entrepreneurship support allowance. Just recognizing that actually a bit of a financial buffer gives people the the chance to set up a business which may or may not succeed. Um, and, you know, if it doesn't succeed, you know, they still are able to pay their rent and they'll go on and find a job. But if it does succeed, it's just giving them them a boost. So there's the actual kind of capital for the business. But it's it's especially in the early days, you know, separating out the person from the business owner is very, very difficult. Um, and I think I think, you know, and there's that wider discussion about, you know, what does social protection need to look like in a digital age, you know, with a lot of different businesses and, and you know, universal basic income and all that. So I think there's something around how do you provide a bit of a cushion as well as reduce barriers for people to get the financing that they that they need. Um, and I would say, you know, I talked earlier a little bit about tailoring programs to specific kind of demographic needs, you know, like gender and so forth. But but I would, you know, agree with your point about, you know, if you're going to have a, a way of filtering money, you know, those that have the strongest motivation, that mindset, you know, um, and very often you don't really know that until a business has been operating for, say, two or three years. You know, I think that that makes sense. And that probably aligns with how governments would run, you know, most programs that have any form of, um, you know, um, filtering or assessment, you know, where is the, the person who's going to be in receipt of this benefit actually going to, you know, um, create the objective, you know, of of that that program, um, but I think also, um, and I and I don't know how you would actually design a policy for this. Maybe it is just that earlier one I said about the financial safety net is because the people who, you know, are successful in business at 35, 40, 45 were probably unsuccessful in business, you know, a couple of times before that, you know, when they were younger. Um, and, you know, you can see that as a statistical truth, but how do you know that's the case in an individual? I don't know how you would would program for it, but I think it and I think this is really uh, I heard this come up very, very strongly in a discussion about EU um, kind of regional funds once, which is, you know, everything tells you that failure is a part of, of business creation and entrepreneurship growth. Big money programs do not account for failure. You know, all you have to do is report for success aligned with with financial objectives. Um, and I think that would be very interesting is to, you know, both align the money with the people that you think are going to succeed. But how do you create a buffer for legitimate failure, um, recognizing that's an essential part of that innovation and, and you know, and business creation? Um, but anyway, if we're talking about policies, I, I would be remiss if I did not talk about regulation, um, because regulation and infrastructure, which are um, kind of evergreen issues, um, and, you know, I know there's been a lot of effort um, in the space of digital government, for example, um, how can business registration be made easier and so forth. Um, and, you know, there's lots of examples of how this has been done well, but basically where the government machinery is making it more difficult to trade, you know, whether it's registration, taxation, you know, whatever, where government is getting in the way of business success, government has 
the the opportunity you know to change that and i think that there's lots of good examples out there and i'm sure the oecd has shone a light on them of how governments can make it you know easier rather than more difficult to you know to establish um a business um and then infrastructure issues and again this will vary from country to country but you know, you will probably find the difference between urban and remote areas is probably consistent in, you know, in most countries in the world, which is, I think, particularly given the importance of digital for all aspects of a, of a business, even if it's not a, a, a tech business, but everything seems to be, you know, digitally enabled. So I think, you know, that kind of infrastructure, um, you know, transport infrastructure, that whole business of getting product to market. Um, you know, can still be a real challenge in some some areas. Yeah. So I think in policy, there's still about um, how do you align financial support and incentives? Um, you know, how do you really, as a government or as a policymaker, um, address the things that you have unique control over, um, you know, to really support that? And understanding and maybe, you know, some creativity in, in how do policies, which, you know, are under a lot of public scrutiny, you know, in terms of demonstrating success, how do they accommodate the failure, which is, um, you know, an essential part of that whole, you know, entrepreneurial journey? I don't think that's an easy one. It, it, it's kind of countercultural, I think, um, in that space. Wow, Anita, you raised so many good points. I think we'll have to set up uh, a series of podcasts, a series to dig into all of these. I mean, of course, failure is a big part of this discussion because not everyone will succeed. Entrepreneurship has risks. Government needs to somehow find a way to uh, not let these people just disappear out of the labor market. We've got to uh, find bridges to help them get into either another startup or into work. And of course, regulation is a big topic around here these days, uh, whether it's about um, the digital economy or green businesses and regulations around environmental sustainability. Lots of discussion, lots of interest. But unfortunately, we'll have to carry this discussion on in another podcast because we're out of time today. But Anita, thank you very much for joining us and for sharing your insights and with everything you've learned through the work of Youth Business International and your network organizations. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you and we'll have to set up another podcast to carry this discussion on. Brilliant. Thank you so much, David. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com slash OECD.